0: unraveling the true crime mysteries that keep you up at night. There were two more murders 15 miles we'll away Silver found the We have electricity lines, weird described by one it. investigator as reminiscent of a weird religion. of murder. Love triangles are messy. They never end well and someone always ends up hurt. Or, as in the case of Sherry Rasmussen on February 24th, 1986, murdered. So, if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On February 24, 1986, the body of Sherry Rasmussen was found in her apartment in Van Nuys, California. The last person to see the 29 year old alive was her new husband, John Rutan. After he left for work around 9.45 a.m., a a neighbor noticed that the Rutans' garage was open, but no car was visible inside. About 15 minutes later, John made what was the first of many calls to home that would go unanswered. At noon, two men who the neighbor believed to be gardeners came and brought a purse that they found. It belonged to Sherry and a maid cleaning a unit nearby claimed to hear a commotion in the Rutans' apartment around 12.30 p.m. This is all we know until John returned home that evening and found the garage open, glass broken in the driveway, and Sherry's BMW missing. He rushed inside to find his wife dead on the living room floor with three gunshot wounds on her body. There were definite signs of struggle and signs that Sherry fought her attackers. The gun, in order to muffle the sound, was shot through a quilt, which explains the lack of witnesses. A bite mark on Sherry's arm would later become the smoking gun in her case. Upon first glance, it was clear to investigators that this was a burglary gone wrong. They surmised that Sherry surprised the thieves while they were in the middle of taking electronic equipment. A fight ensued that resulted in her death. And the killers fled in her stolen BMW. Yet, the only thing that seemed to be taken, other than the car which turned up a week later, was the couple's marriage license. What thief cares about something as silly as a piece of paper? This clue seemed to me more to one person in Sherry's life. Nels Rasmussen, Sherry's father, thought this clue made a clear connection to the woman he thought was responsible for his daughter's murder, a woman named Stephanie Lazarus. The problem was, no one took their accusations seriously because Stephanie was an LAPD police officer. So, how did Stephanie fit into all of this? Well, while John Rutten was in college, he dated Stephanie Lazarus. It was, according to reports, mainly sexual. Stephanie would steal John's clothes when he was showering and take photos of him sleeping naked. The sexual aspect of their relationship continued on and off through their adult lives. Stephanie went on to join the LAPD while John began working at a hard drive manufacturer. Stephanie decided to throw John a surprise 25th birthday party, unaware that he had begun a serious relationship with a director of nursing, Sherry Rasmussen. She spiraled into a depression contacted John's parents, and called his phone constantly. She finally went to John's apartment to express her sorrow, and, despite the serious relationship with Sherry, the two had sex. Later accounts by John would state that this was simply to give her closure on their relationship. But this did not stop Stephanie's random visits to the apartment. On one occasion, she brought her skis to the apartment that John and Sherry shared, asking if he could wax them for her. Sherry felt this dependence on her new fiancé was a little odd, and even told John it made her uncomfortable. He insisted it was harmless. Then, according to the account Sherry's father was now telling police, Stephanie came to Sherry's office to warn her that their relationship was far from over, and that if she couldn't have John, no one would. Despite all of this, the pair were married in November of 1985, and, not three months later, Sherry was dead. After all of this information, you would think the police would have jumped on the chance to solve the case with a new prime suspect. However, they wrote off the Rasmussens and stuck to their burglary theory. Years would pass. Years of phone calls, of pleading to look into their daughter's death more thoroughly. All to no avail. These calls went unanswered and, on some occasions, the family was even hung up on or told they watched too much TV. And John must have agreed with police because, briefly in 1989, he and Stephanie rekindled their relationship. Though he did call investigators before just to be absolutely sure there was no evidence linking Stephanie to his wife's death. In 1993, Nels Rasmussen went as far as to offer to pay for the DNA testing on evidence now that the technology was available. He was told that there must be a suspect in order to proceed with the testing. In the meantime, Stephanie excelled at her job. She started her own PI firm, earned medals, worked with DARE and Internal Affairs, became a detective, and worked as an instructor with the police academy. She married a fellow officer and the two adopted a daughter. John also remarried and seemed to move on with his new life. Nels Rasmussen did not. He continued to inquire with investigators. He knew there was DNA to test and he wanted it done. And from time to time, a new investigator would pick up the now cold case. However, it was discovered that the evidence that contained DNA was missing it had been checked out by another detective in 1993. The only thing left was the swab from the bite mark that had been pushed to the back of the freezer and found on accident. There were no matches in CODIS, but it was determined that the saliva in the bite came from a female. The investigator found a report that mentioned a third-party female that harassed the victim prior to her death. When inquiring as to what that meant, a detective responded, Oh, you mean the LAPD detective. Everyone seemed to know Stephanie made a good suspect, but no one was doing anything about it. That was until 2009 when two investigators in Van Nuys decided to review the case, this time from the angle that it wasn't a burglary. When they landed on Stephanie Lazarus as a likely suspect, they knew they had to be careful. She was a detective and would know if she was being investigated. They also didn't want to ruin her career and have it all be one big misunderstanding. So, they discreetly connected DNA from a discarded cup and the DNA matched the bite mark left on Sherry Rasmussen. They got her into an interview room on false pretenses and began grilling her about the murder. After refusing to give more DNA, she left the interrogation room and was immediately arrested and charged with the murder. Her home was searched, and inside they found a journal from the mid-1980s in which she mentions her love for John Rutan on numerous occasions, as well as her feelings about his impending marriage to Sherry. Her computer history showed her internet searches on a couple, and the ballistics were matched to Sherry's off-duty firearm. Stephanie Lazarus was brought to trial and into a media circus. The love triangle, police officer murder, and 20-year-old cold case was the stuff of fiction. Everyone wanted the details. During the trial, it became apparent how much of the evidence was missing. Not just the DNA, but recordings and transcripts from interviews from both Josh and Nels. In the end, in March of 2012, 52-year-old Stephanie Lazarus was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to 27 years to life in prison. She will be eligible for parole in 2034. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on February 25th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember stay safe. Thank you for listening to morning cup of murder. This is a daily podcast that tells you what happened on this day in true crime history. In short,